Morning, everybody. So um, I wasn't going to do a podcast today. Um, like I say, I'm trying to sort of just slim back a little bit on, on doing the podcasts. And good morning to my stalkers and haters. Um, those of you who loathe and despise me, but sit there rubbing your fat little hands together, listening to these and then going and tweeting about it with all your abuse and accusations and lies and exaggerations. Good morning to you. Maybe go and clean your house or, you know, something like that. Do something exciting. Get a job. Okay, Uh, so today's podcast is on covert, um, malignant, but all narcissists are malignant, uh, narcissistic mothers. And it's really going to, it's inspired by a conversation that I've just had with a friend of mine on Instagram who um, had quite a similar narcissistic or narcissist mother to myself. Although we all have different experiences, we tend to have the same patterns in behaviour and the same pathologies and our narcissistic mothers have the same agendas. So th- there's there's all the stuff that you would normally get with a dark tetrad personality disorder, but with some individual experiences in there. So I've done podcasts, little bits of podcasts about my narcissistic parents and, and who were both quite different um, and how things came to be and the impacts that had on me and my siblings and then obviously the rollover effect on um, my personality, my life, my relationships and my kids. Um, but this is just a, to try and tighten it up a little bit and talk about really that the process that my narcissistic mother, my narcissist mother, went through um, herself to end up being the woman that she was when she passed away um, in September 2020, to but also in tandem with the process that she went through using me um, as... Um, supply but really mainly as a weapon in the family and how she did it from from really from when I was just a little girl very little right the way up through being an adult woman um and these behaviors and these patterns will be very common with narcissistic mother and uh, scapegoat daughter relationships but I suppose you if this is if you've got a narcissistic mother and you're a scapegoat son that's actually quite rare by the way um this should still fit so I'll give you some phrases as I'm talking and I'm hoping that as I talk, the phrases will make sense and I don't need to kind of like give you definitions. So my mother started out with obviously having me. I was a golden child. This is very common. Narcissists will have a first child and that child will be a golden child because that child is an extension of the narcissist. It is a a, a way to show off, to be arrogant, to be proud, to be look at me. It is a way to validate the narcissist, make the narcissist feel important. Because what makes you feel more important than when you have a new baby? And it's your first baby and you're excited and you're proud. The problem with narcissists is, is this has all got a dark agenda. It's not a wholesome, healthy, happy new mum thing. It's a look at me, look what I did, look what I got. It's not about the baby. It's never about the baby. It's about me, me, me with narcissistic mothers. So what they'll do, like my mother did with me, which very much she dressed me like herself. I was like a little mini Lady Diana. Um, She refused to put me in pink. My mother had a bit of a thing about gender. I have done a podcast on this. My gender was never specific. I was never treated as an individual female, individual woman. In my family, um, I wasn't allowed long hair. Makeup was a no-no. My mom went mental when I had my ears pierced at 14. Um... I uh, like I say, if I did dress female, it had to be like her. 
So corduroy and florals and, you know, all of my kids my age were in shell suits and I was in Laura Ashley. So there was no respect or empathy or understanding for my individuality, my uniqueness or the social construct that I was trying to fit in in terms of fashion and clothes. My mum just didn't give a fuck, basically. And that's a classic narc mum. But um, so she, she, she had me and I was a golden child. I was you know, paraded around our local area, our local community even. And I I, I truly believe that my mum, in her own way, loved me then. Um, there was no competition. There was no challenges. There was no drama. I'd sealed the deal between her and my my somatic, covert somatic narcissist father. I think she thought, here we go. Lucy can be the plaster to this relationship. Lucy can make my husband see what an amazing person I am. I produced a child for him. I produced a daughter for him. Look how pretty she is. Look how cute she is. Look how clever she is. Very, very Machiavellian, very narcissistic approach to being my mother. She didn't want to breastfeed, so she didn't because she wanted to drink. She didn't want to stay in the hospital with me, so she didn't. She went home to keep an eye on my dad and run the business. I was I was a, a little handbag. I was a tool. I wasn't something to be loved or nurtured or for her to make any sacrifices for. Classic narc mom. Then my brothers came along because they were more sticking plasters. They were more treasures. They were more tools to keep my dad busy, keep my dad interested in my mom, keep the family growing. So there's more look at me, look at us, look at me, look at us. Um, again, I was dressed the same as my brothers. Like, hello, I was a girl. I still am a girl. Uh, she enmeshed us all, uh, matching outfits, matching suitcases when we were little and matching haircuts. It's just weird. Um, but very quickly, the slightly more obvious over narcissistic mother stuff came in. My mother parentified me and parentification is when uh, a caregiver or parent makes a child who's nowhere near the correct age for it, another parent in the family. So I think I was about eight when my mum started making me do my brother's homework. She, My mother never did homework with any of us. She was not interested. My dad did, but my mum didn't. But they were running businesses, so it was just much easier. Narcissistic mothers like things that are easy and simple, right? There's no effort. There's no hard work when it comes to children. So it was dead easy just to say, Lucy, do help Timmy and Sam do their homework. And I was eight. So that's fine. You put Timmy and Sam to bed. You read them a book, okay? You get them dressed in the morning. You help them get dressed in the morning. You help them tidy their room. You get them out of bed in the morning. So I'd become, I'd become the parent. I'd become a parent. I'd become a nanny. I'd become a little teacher. Um, I was eight years old. I emphasize this. I was a little girl at eight. I should have been playing in the park. I should have been tidying my own room. I should have been an eight-year-old girl. And I was another mummy, another daddy, another nanny. I was a caregiver. I was a cleaner at eight years old for my brother's who were only little, I think they were like something like five and three along those lines. So straight away, there would have, there would have, there would have been very, um, my brothers wouldn't have known it at the time and they're not really emotionally intelligent enough to recognise it even now while we're all hovering around in, a, in, in near to or in our 40s, that resentment will have formed because I will have become, in their mind's eye, the bossy big sister who got them out of bed, the bossy big sister who insisted they get dressed, the bossy big sister that insisted they read this book or they tidied those toys or that they um, fed the cats because we had like 14 cats. So I, because I'd become a parent, my role as a sibling, as a big sister, um, as a, even a, you know, a, a friend, you know, the capacity to be my brother's friend, their little wingman or, you know, somebody to look up to and to be proud of was completely fucked and shot to pieces because my mother wasn't allowing me to be that. My mother did, and she, this is all covert. She's a covert. My mother would never, ever have had the uh, emotional empathy 
or skill set to acknowledge what I am telling you now. She just, and she physically couldn't. I tried so many times to discuss this with her and she would put the phone down. She would threaten me with social services. She would get absolutely drunk as anything, put my dad on the phone and they'd scream and shout at me and say I was a bully. If I tried to tell them this stuff, I wouldn't have even, this is already eight minutes in, I wouldn't have got two minutes into this. She just refused. Um... So the parentification was big. Then there was enmeshment. So she enmeshed me first. And enmeshment is when a parent takes you in a bit too close into their their context as a grown-up. So I knew things about... Oh, how can I put this? I knew things about my mom's marriage, her eating disorder, her alcoholism, her relationship with my grandparents, her relationship with my in-law grandparents. My mother treated me sometimes like a confidant, as a spy... Um, as a colleague and and uh, she would offload on me she would I, I knew things I shouldn't have known from about 11 years old okay because at this point she had me working in the hotel and doing a, exactly the same amount of work as one of the grown well I say grown they were 18 or 19 as the grown women that my mom had previously hired but my dad kept having affairs with them so I replaced those women there's something funny about that as well by the way I don't I don't want to go into it but there's something strange about the fact that I replaced uh, I was put in place instead of my mom hiring just hiring women ugly <laughs> ugly fat women she just put me there but I was also cheaper so she saved money by also then enslaving me so I was 11 so We'd make scones and she'd slag my dad off to me, you know, um, you know, I'd be doing the bedrooms with her and she'd be slagging off my, you know, my nanan, which is her mother-in-law. I was, was enmeshed to her and I, but this is the only time I felt important with my mother. I felt seen and heard, which is highly toxic and highly inappropriate that when she treated me like a sort of best friend, a counselor, a therapist, a shoulder to cry on, I felt important. I was never treated like a daughter or a little girl or a child. Um, she always gave me the wrong roles at the wrong times in my life. She just didn't know how to fucking parent. And But I felt important. So I became a little bit, not toxic's the wrong word, but I didn't behave appropriately as a child then because I started spying on my dad and obviously feeding back affairs and things I'd caught him doing with these girls. I shouldn't have known this stuff. I shouldn't have seen this stuff. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have even been on my radar at 11 years old. Uh, my mother never thanked me for it either. She'd, you know, she never thanked me for, for, for informing on my dad, but she'd put me in that role. Um, she never thanked me for working in the hotel and I was like one pound an hour I was doing. Like other girls my age were getting five, six pounds an hour. Um, it was slavery. In, in essence, um, and I say working, I mean working. I wasn't just puttering about dusting. I was stripping beds. I was cleaning toilets. I was cooking meals. I was serving tables. I was running a bar. I was doing the coffees and the chocolates at night. You know, I was doing breakfast in the morning. I wasn't pottering about with a duster in a pretty little dress. That was my brother. Joke, joke. Um, <laughs> um, so there was that. That was her next level. And while that was happening, my resentment was growing. I didn't know it was resentment. Right. I felt different. I felt left out. I felt angry. I felt unheard. I felt unseen. And I was struggling and desperate for attention. And I wasn't associating with my peers. I wasn't playing in the park. I wasn't getting to know other people my age. I wasn't learning how to behave people my age. I was learning a wine list. I knew what a Rioja was and a Shiraz was at 12, 13 years old. But I didn't know how to have a conversation with another 12 or 13 year old. I didn't, you know, it's ooh, all of it's just so bloody wrong. Um, 
So there was the uh, parentification and the enmeshment. And I was still being enmeshed because I was still, even at that age, getting my brothers out of bed, busting them about, trying to get them to school, trying to get them to do their homework, um, telling them off when they were doing things they shouldn't have done because I was still carrying these roles that made me feel important that my mother, who I loved, had given me. So resentment's growing. Uh, inequality is coming in now. Uh, the fact that I just, all the stuff that I should have been feeling and doing as a normal little kid, I wasn't. So all this stuff's all going on, like, woo, 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 woo. My mom didn't give a fuck. She just did not give a flying fuck. My dad, by this point, had started having affairs that were out with the home because obviously the nannies weren't there because I was doing their jobs. Um, so there was all sorts going on there. So she was complete, becoming increasingly fixated on him, increasingly malignant and codependent on him. And she was going from what I think was probably borderline personality disorder into narciss in, 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 an inverted narcissist. And I have done a podcast on that because if you stay with a narcissist long enough, and you refuse to acknowledge your behavior and you refuse to acknowledge your darkness, you are almost always going to become a malignant codependent and therefore an inverted narcissist, which my mother did. She morphed. She moved into that. Um, and I'm being dragged along. I'm a kid. My mother chose to have me. I'm a kid. And I'm dragged into this horrendous train ride to shitstormland. My brothers weren't working in the hotel. Um, I was this little bit, I was starting to get that little bit of resentment there and I was starting to act out now. As any kid who's brought up, as I've just described to you in the last 13 minutes would, I was acting out, I was getting, I had anger issues, I had a temper, um, I really struggled to, 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 to be my unique individual self, so I was attracting bullies, um, oh, it's just, I just, I didn't have an identity because my mother didn't let me have one. I didn't learn, you learn your identities through your healthy attachments and healthy relationship with parent parents, caregivers, siblings and peers. And I had none of that. I wasn't allowed that. Um, and I, I was only a kid, so I wasn't like going to go out and start looking for it like I have done as an adult. And then I started being the scapegoat. So the scapegoating comes in then because I was acting out, because... I, I realised that I was different. I realised I'd been treated unfairly. I realised that things weren't right. I realised that my dad was a dirty bastard. I, I loved him dearly, but he was a terrible husband, even though he was actually not a bad father. I realised my mum was not like other mums. In, in, in made, I mean, she was an alcoholic. She was a bulimic. She was a controlling person. She was manipulative. She was a bully. She was completely obsessed with my dad in a really unhealthy way. And she wasn't, she wasn't nurturing or loving and she didn't acknowledge me as a, her daughter or even as a, a human being. And of course, by this point, when you get to teenage years, you start noticing mums moms and daughters and it was just not what we had and we were never going to have it. So I really started to kind of like kick off a bit and I started drinking myself. My own eating disorders um, and disordered eating came in. This is, if you're listening to this and you're a mother... And you've been with a narcissist for a period of time and you think you're staying in this relationship for the children. You are down that rabbit hole of where my mother ended up, okay? You should never, ever, ever stay with an abusive or toxic or unfaithful person or narcissist, if you want to go along that spectrum, for the children because it does not... What we see and what we experience is exactly what I'm describing here. And my, and my case wasn't anywhere near as bad as some people's, okay? But it was bad. It was bad enough. Um, so as I got bigger and started acting out, I also developed my looks. So then my mum's jealousy kicked in. So this is the next phase. The next stage is jealousy. And uh, I, I had the potential to be very close to my dad. I had been when I was younger. My mother absolutely loathed that. I was seen as a threat. I was seen as a... Um, 
a threat to her ego, a threat to her relationship with my dad, which was barely existent, but she was always scrabbling around for something, but she was also very abusive to him. She never had a nice word to say to him. She wasn't affectionate with him. I've done podcasts on the, on how we were all exposed to their intimate relationships. So I won't talk about that today. Um, I learned that this is how relationships were. I learned that women didn't like me. This is how women are. This is, Women are jealous. Women are aggressive. Women are controlling. Women will bully you. Um, my attitudes and my relationships with women suffered. I've only recently, this last five or six years, had close relationships with women, um, which I love now. And I, you know, I, I embrace it. I actively seek it out now to spend time with my female friends. Five, six years ago, I would have been like, nah, no way. Because my mom toxified that. She ruined that. She would, I mean, she had female friends, but all she did was bitch about them and slag them off behind their back. And of course, I'm exposed to that at 15, 16, 17. Um, and then I left home and there was a hatred that I'd left home, even though she wanted me to leave home. So that's, that's a narcissist straight off the bat. Leave me. I don't want you here. I hate you. How dare you leave? You know, <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, and then I was, then, then it all started when I was no longer under the same roof, the gossip. The bitching, the lies, the triangulation. Because I wasn't there, she could talk about me to my siblings who were still there. So the next stage was, was the triangulation, the inventing dramas, the lying, and then starting to more overtly separate my brothers from me. So the last sort of thing, because there's loads more to this, but I don't want to do the podcast for too long. The, the last thing she would do is she started telling my brothers little stories about me. And my brothers are academic, but they're not intelligent, right? And because my mother had then enmeshed them, similar to as she enmeshed me, they felt needed, they felt important, they felt seen. Okay, they were never really properly nurtured or loved either, but never mind. They don't they weren't they also weren't bullied and manipulated. So their feelings of the enmeshment felt different. So it wasn't as disordered. So she was relying on them for things that, again, adults, so they helped build my mom and dad's house in the end. They helped with money decisions, money um, situations. My mother gave them all the glamorous jobs in the hotel eventually. So my brother got to go out on the wildlife trips. My other brother was answering the phone and making puddings. I mean, they're lovely jobs. And they didn't have their heads down a toilet, I'll tell you that for sure. Um, and they didn't do any client front-facing work either because they didn't like talking to the guests, whereas I'd been created as a little maitre d' when I was only 12. And I was a fabulous front of house. Um, um, so they enjoyed their parent, uh, their enmeshment roles as bank, bank manager and accountant and builder and architect, you know. Um, so they, they felt more connected and close to my mother and father. So when my mother then was going, let me tell you this about Lucy. Let me tell you what she said. Let me tell you this. They were going, ooh, they enjoyed it. This is where their own narcissism started to creep in. And that's exactly what she wanted. So little examples. My brother bought me a brown suede handbag. I loved it. It went missing. Uh, I visited my mom and she was using it. And she said in front of my brother and me, oh, but you didn't like it. You gave it to me, Lucy. Bullshit. So there's a little resentment. My brother's thinking, oh, I spent money on that. I thought Lucy would like that. Uh, why would Lucy do that? I never did that. Another one, I bought a makeup bag for my brother's girlfriend. Um, I bought myself the same one. I thought it was super cool. Um, they opened the presents when I wasn't there because it was one of, I think it was my first Christmas I wasn't there. I can't remember. And my mother told the girl that the makeup bag was a slight. It was an insult. The girl lapped this up, right? 
Um, it was a big drama over Christmas, nasty phone call on Boxing Day. Why would you do that? Why would you send a horrible present to Heather? And I was like, what? I was like, I've got the same makeup bag. And then they cut the phone off because I could prove that I actually bought myself the same makeup bag and completely poo-poo my mom's accusations and the huge drama they'd enjoyed for the last 24 hours over the roast turkey and sprouts. They cut me off. That's the beginnings of narcissistic abuse. When you can prove the narcissist is lying or manipulating or causing a drama, they put the phone down. They stonewall you. They discard you and they ghost you. And that was the beginning. Uh, my mother then said to my brothers that I had demanded, this is the phrasing, demanded £6,000 for my wedding. Bullshit. My mother had invented in her head that I wanted half for the wedding. Considering for 20 years, my mother kept joking nastily. There's no money for your wedding. We're not going to pay for your wedding. There's no money for your wedding. We're not those types of parents. You'll never have any money for your wedding. So when I got engaged, I told my mom and dad that our budget was £12,000 between me and my husband. My mom's little brain had distorted, warped, toxic little brain said, Lucy wants £6,000 off us. This then became weird. I did, didn't know this is how her brain was working. Um, and then, of course, so ensued another drama where, again, she got my brother to phone me and abuse me, saying, how dare you insist on £6,000 for your wedding? By then, my relationship with my youngest brother was destroyed. From the makeup bag to the handbag. Oh, and he also bought me a set of knives, which my mum had visited my house and the knives weren't out. I wasn't using them. She went back to my brother and said I didn't like them. So there was four nasty little things that she'd created. And my brother's very vulnerable and very weak and an odd person. You know, he just needed a couple of excuses to have no relationship with me because he's not that kind of guy. He doesn't have any friends. He's been with the same girl for years and years and years. And he's only been intimate with two people. He's not interested in human beings. So he was quite happy just to get rid of me once my mother had talked. Toxified, 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 and toxified. The fragile relationship we had. She had to work a bit harder at my middle brother because we have much more in common. We were much more close. We've got the same sense of humor, similar personalities in, in good parts of our personalities. Um, so she had to work harder at him. Um, and he's a bit more emotional, he's a bit more sensitive. So I think he at times did sort of think, mm, I'm not sure about that, I'm not sure about this. But he didn't have the balls and the gonads to stand up to my mom and defend me because he didn't want to, because it was in his best interest to keep my parents sweet because he likes a very quiet, very calm, comfortable lifestyle. He likes the lifestyle of what we call the invisible child, okay? My youngest is the golden child and I'm the scapegoat. So my brother would try to maintain the peace, maintain the quiet by not listening to my side of things and not telling my mother off for her toxic side of things. And that is never going to work because resentments grew between us. I started being combative and aggressive and trying to make him see what my mother was like. Um, and then, of course, she popped a glogs and left him a load of money. Bob's your auntie. Nobody talks to me anymore. But I've obviously cut a lot of stuff out there. But that is a covert narcissist mother. Yes, there was violence. Yes, there was... Uh, she would destroy my artwork that was on the wall. I was, I was an A student for art. Yes, she... Took all my clothes once and left me to sit in my room with no clothes on. I was in puberty at the time, so it was highly inappropriate. Well, it would have been inappropriate any time. Um, yes, she, she bitched about me to my boyfriends when I was in the shower and getting dressed. You know, she really made people feel uncomfortable. She did all the other stuff, but I've just tried to give you a timeline, um, starting with the parent, the golden child me, and then making uh, gilding me as the golden child and then having more children, then doing the parentification, then doing the enmeshment, then doing the scapegoating right up to all the dramas and the crises and the over and, and covert triangulation and inequality. And that's your pathway. 
That's your pathway of the narcissistic mother from a little girl with her daughter, sorry, from a little girl up to being in her 20s. And she just got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point at which she would pretend to be my friend, take up hours of my time on the, during the day on the phone and then go and slag me off to my brothers anyway. Um, and then my brothers would say, well, you've done this and you've said that. And I'm like, I've just spent five hours on the phone with mom today and not one thing did I say about you. But she would invent things I'd said and it was just, she got worse and worse and worse. And no, it wasn't dementia. She knew what she was doing.